0: Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James considers Christ as King through his trials before authorities and his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaofire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 28, and we're going to go to Chapter 19 through verse 16. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If you were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge, of court, judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. <clears throat> Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that, that saying, he was, more, he was the more afraid and went again to, into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, "If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks, speaks against Caesar." When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat again, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, and then, but in Hebrew, Gabatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, "Behold, your king." But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he, delivered, them, then he d- delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Father, as we consider the trials of your Son, I ask that you and dwell us with your spirit. Give us wisdom, give us insight, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to turn to our Savior, to see his agony, to see his suffering, to see his life. Because he lives, we shall live also. Father, grant in us your spirit. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So, we're approaching sacred ground here, right? It's much like when God came to Moses and said, Remove the sandals from off your feet. The ground on which you stand is holy. This is a holy time. Right? And as I've tried to emphasize, you know, the the suffering of Christ, Christ giving his life for us is not simply or merely the cross yes that is that is the the final victory that truly was the war to end all wars so to speak however we are approaching very sacred ground here very sacred testimony that we must come to with hearts devoted over to see what our christ went through see what our savior went through to to procure his people remember Christ is King. He is King. He is a suffering King. He is a servant King. He is a suffering King. Now, briefly, this message has kind of changed in the la- at the last minute. I wanted to kind of discuss all the, the different trials right before the Sanhedrin, so before the chief priests and the Jews, and then you know they then they deliver him over to Pilate, and then Pilate sends him over to Herod Antipas, and there's not much of an the exchange there. And then we were going to finish up with Pontius Pilate, with one other trial. Um, But now we're just going to focus mostly on uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate's exchange. And then really, I think, the greatest trial he went through, it wasn't before a Roman authority, it wasn't before a Jewish authority, it wasn't before a Herod, a Tetrarch's authority. Um, It was really the authority of himself and the authority of God. Um, Just a quick little spoiler alert, I, I believe that trial the most difficult trial that he endured before the cross was in the Garden of Gethsemane so we will consider that somewhat briefly for now just to set this up you know right after the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and was sweating out drops of blood that's when Judas had gotten all the chief priests gotten the soldiers and so forth to come and arrest Jesus okay and we're not going to talk much about that but they take him by force. You know, We've discussed briefly, one of the disciples cut one of those servants' ears off. Jesus healed them and says, I could have called 12,000 legions of angels. But this is the will of God. This is the will of my Father. I must do this. So put your sword away. He who died, who he, he who lives by the sword perishes by the sword. Okay. So right after that, he is delivered over to the, to the chief priest, to the Sanhedrin. Now Jesus had prophesied over and over again that he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Jews, and he, they are going to hand him over to the Gentiles, and that is to fulfill many of the prophecies that we have considered. Okay, so that's basically kind of what's happening. the The Jews say that they have no authority to crucify him because legally they technically don't. Okay, they they have some authority for the death penalty, but crucifixion is not one of them, and and just somewhat of a this is essential to recognize, to, to realize. In chapter 10 of the book of John, the chief priest, the acting chief priest at this time anyway, is a man named Caiaphas. And the, all the chief priests, all the Jews, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him, and they're, they're, they're concerned about this Jesus of Nazareth who's going around preaching this kingdom of God. And that would that would cause... Now, there are many things to be feared. We've talked about the zealots Who literally did have these insurrections and assassinated, killed many Romans. Remember, one of Christ's apostles is Simon the Zealot. So, I don't, you know, it's not said, but whether they think that this is going to rise to an insurrection, a revolution, or either way, the Romans aren't going to like this and they're going to come and destroy us all. They're going to punish us all. And Caiaphas basically says something to the effect of, Fools, don't you... Again, paraphrase. Fools, don't you recognize that that it's more beneficial, it's more advantageous that one man should die than a whole nation? And John makes the point that he didn't realize it, but as the acting high priest, this is actually a prophecy coming out of this man, that one man will die so that the whole people of God do not. Remember Jesus Christ said, Because I live you will live also you shall live also let's remember that that's why i tried to emphasize as well him giving his life for us isn't just the cross he didn't say because i die you shall live also he says because i live you shall live also he was killed upon the cross which we will consider next week god willing he was put to death on that cross but he had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it up again that's the other thing he kept on saying He is the true Messiah. He is the Son of God who came to serve, who came to suffer, who came to die, to be raised, and ascended to the right hand of God for his people as king. So as we consider these trials, this is the king, the king of kings, Lord of lords, on trial, on trial before Earthly authorities before before the kings like all the other nations, right? Before the governments, why the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing. Kings of this earth couns counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his against the Lord and against his Christ. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Okay, so Briefly, that's kind of the setup to the Sanhedrin. They were already determined to kill Jesus. This was not a true trial. The Sanhedrin's trial was not a true trial. Basically, they brought in all sorts of false testimonies, all, all sorts of false witnesses to bear false accusations, and none of them would agree with each other And until ultimately a couple came together and said, he said he would destroy the temple in three days, build it up again. And remember, he was talking about his body, but he didn't say, I'm going to destroy this temple. He said, destroy this temple meaning his body, and in three days I'll raise it up again. But that's ultimately where they said, okay, cool, we'll use that one then. They were just looking for any reason, any, any, any reason to kill the Son of God, to kill the Anointed One. Now, they, they just automatically consider a blasphemy coming from him because they choose to reject him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They choose to reject him as the Son of God. And so they just consider it blasphemy. What more do we need here? What more do we need to hear? What's your verdict? He just claimed to be the Son of God, that He will return from the power on high. This is total blasphemy. They rip their clothes, they start striking Him, He starts getting beaten by the Sanhedrin, the soldiers of the Sanhedrin. And then, ultimately, they are forced to deliver Him over to the Romans because they don't have the legal authority to crucify Him. Okay, so... That's where it begins in verse 18. Then it led Jesus from Caiaphas, that the acting high priest, to the praetorium. We've seen the praetorium. Remember with Paul. <laughs> Paul, that's where he was in Jerusalem. The praetorium where that mob was trying to kill him. Again, Christ is his people. Christ is his brothers and sisters. And so many of his brothers and sisters are going to suffer like their king. Not not all of us, okay? However, we are called to suffer. We are all, all called to suffer. God willing, we'll consider a part in Romans. But it's a glorious suffering. Remember, they were, always, they were always praying for boldness. Suffering for the cause of Christ is a glorious thing. You know, suffering by the hand, by the hand of an enemy or unjust suffering is sad. It's, un, it's a terrible situation, but when we see it, under the absolute authority and sovereignty of God, then it, we rejoice in the suffering. Okay, But this is the praetorium that we also saw with Saul. It, it's basically the palace of the governor, which is Pontius Pilate this time. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium unless they should be defiled. So the Jews would not go into the praetorium because they're getting ready for Passover. They would be unclean if they went into the praetorium because they offer up false, you know, false sacrifices there so they can't go in there. And Pilate went out to them, because they were not going in, and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Real quickly, just as an introduction somewhat into Pontius Pilate, I think he's also an enigmatic figure. He's somewhat of a paradox. You know, we see him, notice that there's no fault. I see no fault with this man. There's, this man has done nothing wrong. And yet, through political expediency, we'll see, he does end up acquiescing to the crowd, to the cries of the mob, and he is delivered over to be crucified, but he's there's a part of Pilate who that sees that this man is innocent. Also in the Gospel of Luke, I'm, I'm fairly certain, but in another Gospel, you will see that the wife, Pilate's wife, had a dream and she says, don't have anything to do with this man. Don't have anything to do with this man. I don't know who he is, but he's he's definitely important. Don't do anything with this man, and so his heart is already determined. Basically, I'm not going to do anything with this man. All right. Basically, there's nothing wrong. I see no fault with him. So, verse thirty. They answered. They answered and said to him, "If he were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you." Now that that's not an accusation. That's not an accusation. There's no substance there. They're just saying, "Well." We wouldn't have brought him if, there, if he had done nothing wrong. And that's, there's no Pilate still has nothing by which to render a judgment based on no accusation. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke. That's what, that's what I was saying. He would be delivered over to the Jews. The Jews would deliver him up to the Gentiles. So that's what's happening here. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? In other words, do you think I'm the king of the Jews? Is this coming from you? Or are you talking are you asking me this because of all the chief priests that said all this and now you just, now you're asking me based on other people's testimony? You know, are you asking me this yourself? are you just asking me, but based on what other people were saying, basically. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So this is this is an insult coming from Pilate. Ultimately, um, he said he's saying, am I a Jew? Don't you know, don't start pretending like I'm concerned that you might be the king of the Jews. So what if you're the king of the Jews? I'm not a Jew. So am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own people. And your own chief priests, you know, you're supposed to be the king. Well, your own people have brought you here. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is over this world, okay? His kingdom is not of this world because he is a king unlike any other king. He stands out in not only the paradigm of history, but the paradigm of of personhood, of creation, of all that was and is and is to come. He is the king. However, he's saying, no, my kingdom isn't like you expect. You know, ultimately, I would already, I just said I could have called 12,000 legions of angels and I could have here. But I am procuring my kingdom through this. This is the battle. This is the battle that I am called to come and fight. And here I am. And I'm fighting it, but my kingdom is not of this world, which had to hit Pilate, as as we'll see. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. So this is coming from you, right? You say right, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. This is Christmas. For this cause I was born and for this cause i have come into the world this is why i'm here this is why i'm here you're asking me if i'm a king of the jews i'm telling you i'm i'm uh, my kingdom is not of this world yeah i'm the king of the jews i'm a king of the romans i'm the king of all all people all nations everywhere but it's not of this world so you say rightly that i'm a king for this cause i was born for this cause i've come into the world that i should bear witness to the truth that's why he's come to the truth The the Remember, he only spoke that which the Father had given him to speak. He only saw and told us that which the Father had revealed to him. And no more and no less. Never kept anything back, and he wouldn't keep anything away either. Everything that was given to him by his Father, he shared. He spoke. He testified to the truth. So, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice remember he's the good shepherd the true sheep his true flock hear his voice they know his voice we know his voice the king of kings the lord of lords has come condescended to come and save us and now he has given us eyes to see and ears to hear and so he's testifying this to pontius pilate that you know i've come to bear witness to the truth Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now, this isn't audio recorded. We don't know what kind of manner he had he had asked us this could have been condescending like oh what is truth you jews always talk about truth and you know we have our own ideas of truth you know we have we have you know the greek philo- philosophy in our history you know we, we've got people like socrates plato and aristotle per, you know parmenides heraclitus you know daily all these people right you know what is truth is is he asking it condescendingly or is he actually asking you this is interesting First of all, you won't, you won't testify for yourselves, yourself, you won't witness for yourself, except when I ask these specific things, this is interesting, this is different. Never come across a man like you, Jesus, this is interesting. What is truth? Is he asking from a true heart, asking the Lord of glory, what is truth? You're here to bear witness of the truth? Bear witness, please, what is truth? But when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, so basically he asked it and then took off. So when he went out to the Jews, he said to them, I find no fault in, in him at all. In other words, he's saying, nothing's happening to this man. Okay? I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. So this, is, this was their deal. Like, this is kind of a pact that, that Rome had main, made with Israel or the Jews. And, and basically, at this, at this time, this time of the Passover, which we've talked about, they would free one of their prisoners right so he comes out and he says hey this this is a perfect opportunity for Pilate, right he he sees no wrong this is this is an interesting man right but i see no fault in him he's trying to get out of this he's trying to get out of this so he asks him hey it's a custom that i release someone should i release to you the king of the jews expecting that all the people would say of course yeah we want our king but the people he's always been despised and rejected by men And that's what's going on here. So he asked him. Then they all cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now that term can be somewhat ambiguous. It could mean robber, it could mean a violent robber, a thief, a violent thief. So a murderer or simply a robber, simply a thief. But they're asking for this true criminal, this true criminal instead of Christ. In other Gospels, you'll see that the chief priests are all rousing up the mob, telling them to cry out, crucify him. Remember, in Ephesus, where they're all saying, you know, the, our goddess Diana, and this, this constant mantra just over and over and over again, the insanity of a mob is what's going on here, or starts manifesting here. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. We've talked about the flogging, the Roman flogging, this, this isn't anything gentle, it's, it's a cord of many whips w- with shards of metal, bones, different fragments that would hurt when you're struck, and then it would drag your flesh apart. He was wounded for our transgressions, was pierced for our iniquity, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... All of us are healed. We are healed. This is our Savior. This is the King coming to bring his people home, to bring his people to himself. The King is winning. We must remember this is good news. This is part and parcel of the gospel. This had to be done. This had to be done. So Christ is enduring this terrible torture. This terrible torture for. His kingdom for his people so they scourge him and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and we've discussed kind of king wears a crown of thorns this is obviously mockery but you know and we'll get to where he presents Jesus he's all beaten is you know they'd struck him already probably has black eyes I think the depiction actually in The Passion of the Christ, I think it's as close to any other motion picture showing really the agony, the torture, the hostility, the violence that was put on our Savior. So they put a crown, of th- they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on a purple robe. Then they said, Hail King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Now. At the, when he was before the Sanhedrin they were doing the same thing they would they were striking him they said with the palm of their hand so but we have to understand they weren't like slapping him they're using the, the hardest part of their palm instead of their fist they're using the hardest part of their, part of their palm i mean this is just kind of the thing that would happen then okay we think of punching and everything that's just a different method for the same result okay? basically and but they were strike him and say you know, prophesy, prophesy. They blindfolded him and said, prophecy, prophesy, tell us, who struck you? They're mocking him. Now these these soldiers put a, thorn, put a crown of thorns on his head, put a purple robe on him, and mockingly say, Hail, King of the Jews. These are Romans. These are Romans. This is insulting. This is anti-Semitism, but ultimately it's absolute mockery. Also been prophesied, and Jesus himself had prophesied, I'll be mocked, I will be rejected. I will be despised. This is the gospel. This is the good news for his people. It's suffering. And it should break our hearts. It ought to break our hearts. And that's why I've told you. At the foot of the cross, all of our emotions are at their absolute peak. Agony, despair, thanksgiving, and joy. A great struggle. And peace. Enduring peace. Eternal peace. So. It is well that when his people see his suffering, to mourn, to mourn, for it to pierce our hearts, Also, we we also must be grateful to our king. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe pilot said to them behold the man in latin it's "ecce homo <sighs> there's so much to be considered with this and sadly again i mean I, I, I wouldn't be able to exhaust this part if i had a thousand lifetimes okay so we're just not going to get into that with detail however pontius pilot is actually mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, our first creed of the church, which basically is a doctrine doctrinal statement, is a statement of faith, a statement of our faith, what we believe, okay? And ultimately why we believe it. So it's a, an epistemological document, so to speak. But he's mentioned in that. And much is much is there to be said about just this part: behold the man. We see that Christ is the God-man, but we must see him as a man. Remember, that's why we've also tried to emphasize the point that he was altogether man, truly man, and truly God, right? Veri homo and Verodeo, all right? So that's all the academic part I want to get into this. However, he says, behold, the man. Christ is the Man, he is the king. But that's why I've also said, if we want an example, he is our absolute hero. He is who, we mu- who, who we're trying to conform into. The Spirit has entwelt us to conform us more and more into the image of our Savior. To be like this. To suffer strongly and faithfully. Not enjoying it. Jesus Christ isn't glorying in this and laughing and thinking this is a wonderful time he's suffering and we'll get to that here here shortly I think that's why the garden of Gethsemane was actually a greater trial therefore when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried out saying crucify him crucify him Pilate said to them you take him and crucify him I find no fault with him the Jews answered him we have a law and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God he did not make himself the son of God he has been begotten of the father as the son of God they just just like many men and women fallen men and women despise and reject him and will just refuse him he just claimed to be the son of God and mock him without end his people have been given ears to see hear and eyes to see that he is the son of God therefore when Pilate heard that saying he was the more afraid see this is this is the struggle that's going on in Pilate wait he claimed to be the son of God he didn't tell me that (laughs) I don't remember hearing that so it struck his heart even more Um, so he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus where are you from basically he's the son of God all right, let me let me go in and, and ask him. This is typically, you know, we always ask, you know, in our day, you know, what do you do? You know, what's your occupation? Back in the day, it, I mean, for the greatest part of history, it was always where are you from? Where are you from? What's your family line? What's your background? Who, who, where, who do you come from? Where do you come from? And this kind of a thing, not what do you do? Honestly, that's the most arbitrary, unnecessary information you can ask a person. I mean, until you get to know him, until it's <laughs> it actually has some meaning to to anything having to do with anything, it's a, it's a it's a weird thing that we we do when we're when we meet somebody new. What do you do? What a weird question. Um, so he asked him, "Where are you from?" But Jesus gave him no answer. Remember, he's like a lamb before a shearing, before his uh, for his shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth so a lamb before a shearer is silent the lamb is silent so he opened not his mouth he is the lamb of god so he speaks certain times and in certain ways for certain purposes but where are you from he did not answer him then pilate said to him are you not speaking to me do you not know that i have power to crucify you and power to release you and jesus answered You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Remember, that's why we've also said Pharaoh was ordained by God. He was a terrible wicked king, a wicked Pharaoh, and God hardened his heart. In other words, he just let Pharaoh be as wicked as he wanted to be, did the same thing to Saul. Nothing happens, terrible or otherwise, outside of the sovereignty of God. God controls all things nothing catches him by surprise okay and Jesus is making this clear first of all especially as it applies to Jesus Christ you don't have this power pilot I know you think you do and I know technically you do and here we are I'm in this trial but you don't have anything to do with this I'm here because my father has sent me here therefore the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin now that could very well, be Judas, could very well be the chief priest, but whoever d- delivered me over to you, he has the greater sin. I can at least notice that you find no fault in me, and this is a great struggle for you. You're governor, you're trying to work this out peaceably, you know, but so they have the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, so now he's determined, very much determined. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you, this is huge. This is huge for Pilate. If you let him go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And basically, that's true. That's kind of true. But Jesus never went around saying, I'm the king. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of this world. That's what we were alluding to with that messianic secret. He didn't come outlandishly professing these things. I am the Messiah. He would say these certain things on occasion, on specific occasions. But he, he manifested his kingship and his prophet, prophetic uh, ministry and his priestly ministry through what he did more than what he said. okay So So he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew Gabatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and the sixth hour as we've said, is about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Jesus said, I mean, Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? This is your king. Shall I crucify your king? You really want me to crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. We've discussed how the Jews are under absolute Roman oppression at this time. It's the iron fist of Rome. You know, many of the rebellion much of the rebellion that came from the from Israel, from the Jews, was really in retaliation. That's why that's why those zealots were so zealous to destroy the Romans. They wanted their liberation. They wanted their nation back. They're the, they're the people of God, they're their nation of God. And that's why they're waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them out of the hands of all of their enemies and to reign and rule forever. But these chief priests, the, author, the, the religious authorities of the day, say, we have no king but Caesar. What terrible hypocrites, terrible hypocrites. This, this is wickedness manifesting supposedly the religious authorities of the day let us always be aware let us always keep watch remember Paul with the Ephesian elders take heed don't take the word of any man go to your Bible go to your Bible to see if these things are so hypocrites abound hypocrites abound the church is filled with the wheat and the tares the visible church is full of wheat and tares keep watch day and night keep watch and he delivered him to them to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away God willing we'll get to that next week I wanted to discuss the garden of Gethsemane now before they go to the garden Jesus predicts Peter's denial which we'll kind of consider a little bit more next week God willing, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee, which we've discussed. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, if i have to die with you i will not deny you and they all said likewise they all said likewise keep on talking about being handed over to the jews to be delivered delivered over to the gentiles to be killed no no, no. i mean we're your faithful followers we've been following you for all these years we've been living with you we've been eating with you we're not going to let that happen if, I, if we have to die we will save you. We will deliver you. King of kings, Lord of lords, we will deliver you. No, we insist. I know you keep on saying this. And Jesus even tells Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And still, they ignore this. They ignore that. They did not take heed. But remember, they are not, they are not yet indwelt with the Spirit of God. Okay, so they are prone to flee in fear. And that's what happens, as we will see. Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. Now it's a garden, okay, in in John's gospel. He doesn't really get into the detail because these gospels already did, but it is a garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. As we've talked about, those are his inner circle. Those are his three most faithful men. Peter is basically the leader of the apostles, sadly. However, after Pentecost, that works out very well. God knows what he's doing. But right now, Peter's ordained to to reject his Savior. We all reject our Savior before he comes to us. Let us recognize that. So let's not condemn Peter for our own same tendencies. So they came to this place which was called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Not just that I'm going to die, but my soul, all that is in me is absolutely sorrowful. Even to the point of death, I feel like I'm dying already. Stay here and watch. Be my men, be my apostles. Be my disciples, be my faithful companions. Sit here and just watch. You don't have to go and pray with me. Just sit here and watch. He also says, "Pray lest you fall in tempta- into temptation." Keep watch. Beware. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And and he said, "Abba, Father." That's Aramaic for father. Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So we see the trials before Pontius Pilate. We discussed the one before the Sanhedrin, a little bit above about uh, Herod Antipas. He has an inner trial in himself. He does not want to go through this. Again, he's not a masochist. He did not enjoy the cross. He did not enjoy the scourging. He did not enjoy the beating. He did not enjoy the insults. Never enjoyed the mockery. Never enjoyed being despised and rejected by men. So his soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And he is asking his father, all things are possible for you. Is there not another way? Is there not another way? Now they have planned, you know, this has been promised in eternity. But the Son of God is struggling as His people for His people. Every single one of us run into this situation where we have our own idea, right? <laughs> you know, this is the way I. Most of you know I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this, right? There must be something with somebody else, you know. There must be another way, you know. Nevertheless, your will be done. And he, his will is done, <laughs> you, no matter what you decide, which is amazing, which is absolutely glorious. We'll all run into this. So Jesus himself had this inner struggle within himself, a trial, as it were, before the throne of his father, praying to his father, Father, you love me. We've been together since eternity. You are, you are, you, with, all, with you, all things are possible. Please, if there's any other way, let this cup, let this cup of suffering. Remember, he fills our cup to overflowing. (laughs) Jesus' cup also overflowed with all of the sins of the entire world. Not just your individual sins. Not just this generation's sins. The sins of the entire world from generation to generation since the beginning of time was laid upon the Savior. Yes, thanks be to God, our sins were included. But everything was unleashed on him. That cup is a cup for only him. But he's asking, please let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Then he came and found them sleeping. So Peter, James, and John are sleeping. And said to Peter, Simon goes back to his birth given name remember peter was the name he had given him are you sleeping could you not watch one hour watch and pray lest you enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak so part of his struggle part this is why i think the garden of gethsemane is far worse than well at least worse than the other trials remember it is not good that man should be alone it's the first malediction jesus christ Is absolutely alone and he's forsaken by his most faithful friends by his brothers as it were so this is absolute agony for him so he goes and he pours out his heart to his father in luke's gospel is where it says he was sweating out drops of blood intense intense agony intense he and he rises up after the first time goes and his inner three His most faithful friends are asleep. So he asked, you couldn't watch one hour with me? You couldn't watch just for just a brief period of time? You said you would never, you know, you said you would die for me. You can't even stay awake for me. Can you not watch one hour? So watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. I know your spirit is telling you, no, I will die for you if necessary. But the flesh is weak pray lest you fall into temptation again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words and when he returned he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him and he came the third time so he went and prayed three times there are many there are many occasions of this three obviously he rose on the third day but he prayed to his father three times the same prayer Kept on getting the same answer. Kept on coming back, and his disciples are asleep. He's absolutely alone, struggling within himself. Father, if there's any way to let this cup pass, let it pass, have it pass. Nevertheless, your will be done. That's why it's included in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is done, but but Jesus Christ is saying, the last thing we're, we're meant to do is live according to our own will, our own tendencies to not drink the cup that we were given. We each will have a cup, not a cup like his. This is for the king. This is a cup for the king. Remember the story of Joseph, and they had taken, well, he had made it to where the brothers seemingly had taken his silver cup. This cup of the king, of the governor, is this great authoritative cup. <coughs> it's usually silver, it's usually gold, it's usually or, ornated, ornate with all sorts of jewels around it and so forth. His is full of suffering, agony. The king of kings came to serve and he came to suffer to procure his kingdom, to bring his people to himself. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, a betrayer is at hand. His disciples, his inner disciples, couldn't even stay up. One of his apostles was the betrayer. Judas Iscariot also lived with him. Also ate with him. Also spent all these years in his ministry. And Judas has his own reasons for doing this. Again, they were all waiting for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom and take care of all their enemies. And Judas seemingly did too. And once he Finally realize that that's not what this kingdom is. Jesus is going to die and ultimately will be serving a dead man. That's why the resurrection is so essential. If there is no resurrection, there's no hope for mankind. There's no hope at all. Yes, the crucifixion, the death of our Savior, is absolutely necessary. But without the resurrection, we serve a dead king. That's what Judas' problem was. Basically, he didn't believe. He, he despised and rejected the Christ as well, the Son of God. And so he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want to return to a part of the book of Isaiah, chapter 3, which we've considered. but We're just going to read the first seven verses. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. This is talking about the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. So, in other words, you know, he's like a root out of the dry ground. It's like it's like he's not even so. He's not like a pretty lily of the field. There's no comeliness about him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we did not esteem him surely he has grown he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted that's where that's how we saw him that's how we see him but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities a chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We will continue this same chapter next week, God willing, when we consider His crucifixion. Now, again, what, what, what we must remember is this is the good news of our Savior. This is the good news of the kingdom. The King has come and He has won. This is the good news. This this is the feet upon the mountains to bring to all the people. We've, we are victorious. The promised land is ours. The king has won. This is part of that. And if we consider David and Goliath, right? So popular popular story for good reason. Remember, after the after Goliath had fallen, David took the sword out of Goliath's sheath and cut his head off, beheaded him. If we take that into Christ, he took the sword of death to kill death. We must recognize that he is the ultimate conqueror. We must understand that he is the warrior beyond our idea of warriors. That's why he's a shepherd, unlike any shepherd. He's a prophet like any other prophet, unlike any other prophet. He is a priest, our great high priest, and him alone who is a priest like no other who gave himself as the offering and unoffering, outside of himself and for himself. He slew death. He killed death by being killed. Our greatest enemy is death, is sin and death. The wages of sin is death. Our king, the absolute sovereign of heaven and earth. Remember, without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the creator as well. Just to make that point clear, the Bible makes that absolutely clear. He is the word of God made flesh. You know, when God said, let there be light, and there was light that was part of creation. His word, spirit hovering over the water, waters. The Trinity is in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, within the few, first few verses. But, he is despised and rejected by men. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is our great high priest who intercedes for us at the right hand of his Father at all times, at all times, throughout your life, throughout our lives. Let us approach the throne of grace and see our Savior, see our King, high and lifted up, who has taken the scourges for us, who drank the cup to its absolute full. He is our great king. He's not, I hope now we can even see more of the fact, he's not tyrannical. His commandments aren't unjust. They aren't unkind, they aren't unfair. They're absolutely glorious. They're reflective of who he is and who he has created us to be. But today, and every day henceforth, let us see our king gaining the victory by tasting death, by being the one killed, by basically, seemingly to the eyes of the world, being defeated. This was no defeat. This is the greatest victory. You know, at the end of World War One, everybody called it the war to end all worlds, uh, all wars. And World War Two came right around the corner. We all want a utopia. We all expect these wars to cease. No, no, no. no, no. There's one. There's one foundation of peace. And he was scourged. He was blindfolded. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. Ultimately, he hung on a cross, nailed to a cross to gain his people, to gain the victory, to purchase us by his blood. That's redemption. That's redemption. That's why today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. However, that's why no matter how much you genuflect and bow the knee, that does not save you. It's, it's a fruit. It's the fruit of being saved. It's what we're left with. Seeing our Lord, seeing our Savior, going through what he went through for us. What are we left with? But absolute adoration, appreciation, contrition, true repentance. A man can tell you to repent and believe until you're blue in the face. But unless God changes the disposition of your heart, unless he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, you can not repent. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. There's only one way. There's only one way, and it it's a glorious way. But don't seek to work out your salvation. Seek your savior. Follow our good shepherd into the kingdom, which has been prepared for us since the foundation of the world. What a glorious savior, what a magnificent king. This is royal prestige. This is honor, this is power. This is glory. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, Father, give us hearts. Give us hearts that break from the suffering and the agony of our Savior, but mend them according to your grace, according to your faithfulness and your promises. You have sent your Son to bear our sins, that we might be risen unto you and boldly enter into the throne of grace now and forever. Father, I ask that you keep this with, locked within our souls all the days of our life until we reach glory with our King and praise you without end. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.